Hey guys, it's Mina. Before we get started today, wanted to remind you to check out a podcast that I love, First Draft, with ESPN experts Mel Kiper Jr., Todd McShay, and of course, friend of the show, Field Yates. Search First Draft wherever you get your pods. You can also check it out on ESPN's YouTube page. Welcome back to the Mina Kimes Show featuring Lenny, the only NFL podcast where one of the hosts hears three, four, and thinks, that's dinner time. That's Lenny, whose dinner time was actually 6 p.m. originally, and he has successfully manipulated me into moving it down to four, occasionally 3.45. Anyone who has a dog knows this when they you do the two-dinner lifestyle and they're trying to slowly trick you into doing three. That's Brandon Thorne, you might have heard. Brandon, do you have a dog? I do. Yeah. I've gone through a very similar dynamic with mine. <laughs> it's emotional terrorism, really. I mean, I, I I think I've mentioned this here before, but there was a time where I pulled up to the house and it was like 3.30 and I just stayed in my car because I didn't want to deal with my dog agitating. That's the power he has over me. Um, speaking of power, Brandon Thorne is a... Where do we even begin with this? Um, you are the creator of trenchwarfare.substack.com, which is an excellent newsletter that you guys should sign up for focusing on, well, exactly what it sounds like. Um, you've been scouting what both O-line and D-line for years, right? Yeah, both of them for pretty much the equal amount of time. I really started offensive line and focusing there, but it's kind of just naturally branched to defensive line considering you know how much I watch them when yeah. they're facing their offensive line. So, yeah. Well, to that end... Um, on today's show, Brandon and I are going to talk about the top draft prospects, O-line and D-line. Then in the second half of the show, um, Jordan Reed of ESPN, wonderful draft scout, is going to join me to basically talk about all the positions that I haven't gotten into. Um, cornerback is one I'm really excited to talk about. You know, last week we did quarterbacks and wide receivers. So we'll talk about linebackers and all of that Run, running backs, none of whom were probably drafted in the first round, but with Jordan. Um, but yeah, we're starting with the big boys at the top of this show. And uh, Brandon is an offensive line expert, but I also want to discuss, as I mentioned, the tackles and edge rushers. I, I figure we should start with the edge rushers because that seems to be how the draft is starting. Um, and really just the top guys, Brandon. I, I guess, you know, you, you've seen them in evaluating offensive linemen. And I want to ask you, uh, like, what's your general order for your top five? Yeah, so for me, I I think I've pretty much landed on Aiden Hutchinson being number one, um, with you know kind of a lot of other guys who you know, guys analysts I should say in the space have, and I I think it's kind of a similar dynamic in terms of his his floor. I think is you know really high. I don't really see him becoming a, a bust or you know anything like that. I, I think you're looking at a you know like a Trey Hendrickson level guy as kind of like the the bottom you know, of, of what he could be or what he will be. And for that reason, to me, I think that that kind of makes him a little bit more quote unquote safe than some of these other guys where there's a little bit more of a projection. Mm. Um, and I, I like a lot of the boxes that he's checked uh, over the last year, really uh, specifically with the off season he's had with the combine, of course, I mean, all those uh, measurements that he had in, in terms of athletic testing were, I mean, I don't even know if they're being talked about, you know, really enough uh, in terms of the, especially the the three cone and the, yeah. the short shuttle being, you know, almost six foot seven. I mean, for him to, 
to have those measurements at that height is is uh, pretty eye catching to me. The arm length is kind of the one knock on him, you know, being a little short, but that's really the only thing you could kind of ding him on um, to me. I mean, the bend isn't elite. He's not bending maybe like, you know, Kayvon Thibodeau is around the corner, but I think he can win across the tackle's face because of his get off. He has enough get off to kind of open up the tackle and then he, he can really sink some nice moves together to cross a guy's face and get one with a little bit of power. I feel like if you get, you get a guy with kind of that athletic uh, baseline that he has that can win in sort of those refined ways, I think we're looking at a pass rusher that can make an immediate impact, maybe not, you know, become an all pro Bosa, you know, level rush, rusher, but I see him a little bit higher than like a Hendrickson type of guy. Hmm. So yeah, I mean, I, I like Hutchinson uh, a good amount. I think he's a pretty refined rusher. Yeah. Um, and then second for me would probably be Thibodeau. Um, and that's because of really his get off is special, um, I think. And that's such a critical element of rushing the passer is how quickly you get off the ball. And you could just set so much stuff up off of that, whether it's winning outside down the middle or inside. He's bigger than you would think, uh, you know, being around 255, uh, a little bit more power than typically a guy with that get off has, I think. Um, tested really well, of course, all that kind of stuff. He checked those boxes as well. So I think he has more room to grow in terms of his pass rush plan and uh, developing more of a signature move, some secondary moves. All those things are coachable, you know, technically. I think those can, you know, improve. But man, that get off is very enticing. And then he could bend around the corner as well. So he has a lot of natural gifts. And um, yeah, yeah. I'm going to hit pause there because (laughs) I want to talk about these two guys. I think they're the clear number two. Trayvon Walker has been like rising steadily. And and I want to talk about him next, but I agree Mm -hmm. with you. Sometimes I uh, kind of have Thibodeau over Hutchinson and we can talk about that. But um, you said a lot of, you made a lot of really interesting points about both these rushes. So, So starting with, Hutchinson, I'm glad you highlighted the athleticism because it does. God, it's so uh, stereotypical to, to say that no one's talking about a, a white NFL player's athleticism, but it's true a little bit, and it really shows up yep. on tape. You know that short area quickness. Um, you, you talked about his first step, but just in a phone booth, he's so nimble. I think that was what really surprised me. Uh, I just kind of, you know, you. So I had watched, obviously, the big playoff games, and I'd heard, um, or the big games, rather, and then I'd heard about, you know, the the motor, the motor, the effort. The Again, mm-hmm. we're, really, we're deep into stereotype land, although it is true. He does have a really high motor. Yeah. But then when I, you know, had a chance to watch most of his season, I was just so impressed by his change of direction, which, again, you talked about his three-cone. Um, so I think that, you know, like you said, that plus coupled with his su- superior run defense – really sets a high floor for him. Um, but you also address some of the things that I think maybe potentially cap his ceiling, one of which is the bend, which there are some times where he looks super stiff um, and kind of has an inability to corner. And then the other thing is the short arms. I want to ask you this, kind of coming from an offensive line perspective, how does that impact his game? Yeah, I mean, I, I think when you're, I think his arm length is what, 32 and an eighth, which... Yeah. You know, f- fairly, uh, fairly, or it's, it's very short, I guess, for for arm length. I think that's I'm looking at it as a spider chart now, seventh percentile. So you know, very short uh, arm length. And I think where that comes into play is, 
in trench play, I think one of the kind of the key factors in having success, especially in like a one-on-one isolated situation is establishing first meaningful contact on the guy across from you. And that could kind of just allow you to gain control and then dictate the terms of that rep, you know, set stuff up. You know, I think the long arm technique is something that Hutchinson used a little bit in college. I don't see necessarily maybe that being as much of a go-to in his game as a pro, partially because of that arm length, Um, Hmm. you know, especially at defensive end with tackles. Most tackles are, you know, at least over 33. A lot of them hit 34. Um, So, you know, when you're talking about a couple inches, I think that just forces you to be that much more technically sound in terms of how you time stuff, where you place your hands, your margin for error shrinks. Um, so, you know, I I think that kind of limits, I guess, uh, his pass rush plan in the NFL a little bit. If you wanted to use his long arm to set up other moves, he may have to just, uh, you know, kind of rely on other ways to set up his moves. So, you know, I mean, if he, if you're, if people are looking at him as more of a power rusher, um, typically power rushers utilize the long arm a lot and they're longer arm guys. So he's kind of a unique guy in that way where he's tall, um, and he is kind of has a power element to his game, but that long arm may not be there, you know, for every kind of body type that he's going to face. So, yeah, I just think it's it's interesting because, you know, I'm very interested to watch him as a rookie against certain body types and how right. he kind of navigates that. It's yeah, really I, I do question like watching him sometimes how he'll stand up against some of the better left tackles in the NFL. You know what I mean? Like um, mm-hmm. just because, like you said, a lot of the stuff. In college, the arm length doesn't really stand out, um, you know, in terms of um, getting off of blocks. But, like, you know, again, it's – and, you know, he obviously played some pretty good opponents at Michigan. But, you know, right. if so much of his game is centered around his moves, which are obviously – safe to say the best of any edge rusher in the class, which the, the repertoire he brings yeah. to the table and the counters. Um you know, you then you say, okay, well, there, that he has all of that, and it, it allows him to compensate for some of these issues we're talking about, the bend and the the length. But how does that translate to the next level? Like, I I I guess my question with him is just kind of like, where's the ceiling? You know, because how many edge rushers in the NFL are really able to be truly great with those types of limitations? Yeah, I mean, it's. I think typically you have to have sort of like a a trump card type of trait if you aren't like the prototypical guy physically. Um, Maybe like the first guy that comes to mind is Vaughn Miller. I I don't know his arm length off the top of my head, but I'm not sure exactly how long his arms are. Um, I want to say probably, let me actually look real quick, 33 and a half. So yeah, he actually has super long arms, but um yeah, uh, maybe Vaughn's not the best comparison because he's just kind of a freak show all the way around. But yeah, I mean, typically to be an elite level guy, uh, you know, that's getting all pro consideration and stuff like that, you kind of have to check every box. It's rare where you, you see a guy that doesn't really check all of the boxes in terms of physical traits, you know, get to that level. So that's why I opened with making sure I kind of mentioned his floor yeah, you know, that's what I like about him. You know, he's one of those guys who could be an above average starter with maybe some flashes of greatness, you know, because of 
kind of that get off combined with his ability to cross a guy's face, sink his hands and feet and change directions laterally quickly. I think that could make him very competitive against elite competition, which is a really nice thing to have if you're an above average player. A lot of above average players are not going to be able to challenge those kind of guys on an island one-on-one, but I think he has that kind of in his back pocket. We just may not see it as much as we did, you know, as his last year at Michigan. Yeah. And I want to also mention like his speed in the open field is really impressive. So I'm like, you know, I don't want to downplay. He, it's, it's not that he isn't a freak athlete. He is a freak athlete. He has these incredible attributes that we've been talking about um, both in and out of the box. But like, it, I just, you know, we're talking about number one draft pick, right? Like we're talking about right, right. Miles Garrett. Standards had, are high. Yeah. Who had the floor and the ceiling. And I think it's funny, like this year, when we're talking about Hutch versus Tibbs, and it seems like, you know, Thibodeau's not, there's no chance he goes one, I think based on at least the smoke. We are really talking about floor versus ceiling. And it is fascinating. It's like a fascinating question for NFL prospects. I think it also are probably teams because they have to ask the question, do we believe in our ability to develop a player or do we want a day one contributor, which is what I think Ada Hutchinson is. Um, it's a tough question, you know? I mean, there's there's just so many unknowns. It, it is. And this is something I've been wrestling with with offensive line too because so much of it depends on where a guy goes and what sort of developer of talent they have at their position coach, what kind of scheme they're going into. And that's kind of one of those things from the outside projecting players and being in the draft you know, business per se is like, you know, we're, we're trying to you know, project these guys and and place a value on them for all 32 teams. And, you know, when you're working for a team, you obviously have this specific criteria that you're looking for. And I think in that way, it makes it a little easier. There's pros and cons to each side, but that to me, working for a team is the number one pro is because you can eliminate so many guys right off the bat because you're, you, you know, they don't fit your scheme or whether, you know, maybe you do have a position coach that isn't a great developer. He's more of a schematic guy. Then you're going to be looking at more of the high floor guys. So that whole dynamic is always super interesting to me. And it, it kind of, it makes things a lot more tricky. I think when we're trying to place a value on these guys. Yeah. And like, what's your, I mean, you know, defensively are, you know, what, what you want out of a player schematically. Like I think Thibodeau, for example, you want standing up. Right. Um, yeah. I, and you know, I, I don't, th- given the way NFL defenses are right now, I don't think that's as much of a concern or when it comes to evaluating defense edge rushers as it used to be because just of how multiple they are with the fronts. But um, I do think timeline matters a little bit. You know, you got to be a little bit more patient with him. But man, if the payoff is there, like he, he's the guy just not even, just, you know, just watching the three seasons and the 2020 was shortened. Um, I, God, he has the highs that remind me more of, a, I wouldn't say maybe, I mean, he's not Garrett. That wouldn't be a comp, but like the combination of, you talked about the first, the explosiveness uh, the bend, mm-hmm. um, the I I think is the motor thing is super underrated with him, or the concerns are overrated because um, I think there are so many so many reps where his second effort is extremely impressive to me. I understand the concerns about the pass rush moves, although I think that's a little bit overrated too. At least uh, you know there are flashes of him trying different things, but I I, I don't. I know there's like all these kind of murky personality questions or whatever, but 
setting those aside, I do not understand this guy falling out of the top five. Yeah, that that would be the only thing is, like you said, those kind of murky questions that are hard for us to, you know, really place a lot of value in. So, yeah, but um, the flashes with him are, are just really, really enticing. And it's because of the things you said. It's the get off that, man, if you get off the ball like that and, and really stress the corner, stress the edge of an offensive tackle, a lot of tackles, their technique falls apart at that point. And if they open up their hips and shoulders too early, that I mean, you're just playing into the pass rusher's hands. And if you, you know, once you open up, that's kind of a cardinal sin of, you know, playing offensive tackle is you want to stay square as long as possible. But that's much easier said than done when you're going against a guy who is that fast off the ball. So I think he is worthy of being kind of considered in that element of his game, you know, being elite. And that is something you obviously can't teach. You're not going to make that much better in the pros. So, that gives you such a, a nice tool to work with as a defensive line coach and, you know, a coordinator and stuff like that. And then I think he has underrated power. Yes. I, I agree. I don't think he, you know, you know, takes a lot of loafs or, you know, takes a lot of plays off. I, I didn't see a whole lot of that either. Um, man, when I first saw him a couple of years ago, like I got reminded for the first time in a while of Javon curse, which, you know, back in the day, that's kind of an older yeah. guy, but coming out of Florida, played for the Titans, his get off was just the best I think I've ever seen. And, you know, up there with like Vaughn and stuff like that. And I think Thibodeau has some of that juice to him. And yeah, th- I mean, if people want to put him number one over Hutchinson, I totally get it. Um, so yeah, to me, it's neck and neck. And I, I see the allure with him. That's for sure. The other thing about the motor thing is like, as well, actually, I would say I was going to say as time went on, but this was early in his career too. It was just I watch a fair amount of Pac-12 football, uh, being on the West Coast and a sort of Huskies fan, and I mean, teams were just always game planning for him. You know, I mean, it's just constantly running away from him, trying to get you know scheme him out of games. This persisted throughout his NFL career, um, and I think that really limited some of his production. I, another thing I did like over the course of his career was I thought his run defense really improved um, to, until by the end, Great. it really was a strength. I think both him and Hutchinson are fantastic in run defense and Walker, who we're about to talk about. Um, but yeah. I actually think that sets a higher floor for him than, it, like, I don't view him as a high ceiling, low floor guy, unless, you know, whatever, he wants to play chess or something. I don't know. Um, but just, I just never like to talk about that stuff because it's like, I don't know. It's all just speculation and hearsay and kind of stupidity to me. But, um, you know, he's not a designated pass rusher at all. Like, he is pretty complete. Uh, Obviously has to um, work on his moves, but I just, like, what a canvas there. I mean, I I don't know. I'm really, really high on him. Um, Trying to manifest him falling to nine for the Seahawks, which I don't think is going to happen. Yeah. But, um, all right, so let's move on to Walker. So, Walker is... Like, I'm seeing him mocked at one. How do you feel seeing that? Yeah, one. I mean, I could kind of understand it if I'm trying to, you know, be objective about it. And But just because of the tools are so freaky and so just like special, he checks these boxes when you're looking at them on paper where it's just like, you know, that spider chart is just like, oh my gosh, this guy, you know, and the flashes on tape too are just man, I saw some really nice stuff, especially rushing inside as a three technique. 
he did some really good stuff a couple of times that I saw that was just like, oh my gosh, he just pops on film. The way he chases down guys in pursuit, just the power that he has, and then just the the frame he's carrying the weight in as he is kind of seamlessly as he does. I mean, all that type of stuff is I get being excited about him, but man, you just you don't get to see him play off the edge and kind of like a true, you know, like wide nine technique or, you know, kind of these alignments that typical edge rushers play in the NFL and money downs, especially you don't really get to see that a lot from them. So there's a lot of projection there. And that's where, you know, that's why I have him at three, because, you know, the, just the projection piece, like there, there's just a lot more of it that you have to do with him compared to the other two guys. So for that reason, I would be more comfortable taking him more in like the mid first round, but mm. I get the physical traits are there in spades and, Man, especially when coaches start to look at that, you know, I, I totally understand how he's rising up the the board and getting a lot of buzz because, you know, coaches, when, when they see guys with those kind of tools, they feel like a lot of coaches do at least feel like they can kind of, you know, fill in the rest over time. And that obviously can get you in a lot of trouble as well. And yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I like the idea of him playing off the edge, being very good run defender um, and then kicking inside you know, on pass downs and being just a total mm-hmm. menace against guards on the inside. And that to me is not worth number one overall, but certainly a first round pick, high first round pick probably. But so would you say he more just like, has a little bit of ways to go. Like almost like yeah. a Michael Bennett in Seattle type role. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That kind of role would be great. Um, I, I love the idea of that. Yeah. Just like I love a- him inside. Yeah, I mean he's he's fantastic inside and you know, I yeah. the ability to be he was so disruptive at you you mentioned this at the 3. I mean he plays everywhere, right? At the 3, at the 5. I, I the thing I I guess that gives me a little pause is he was lined up outside the tackle a fair amount. Not as not as much as the first two guys we talked about and still didn't quite produce at the level you would expect certainly of a top 5 number 1 pick. Um right. I think watching He doesn't really him, have a plan. He doesn't have a plan. He's often like yeah. You know, he, he. We talk about he's super special against the run, but it's almost like that's his priority. Um, which again, some of that. I mean, it's always hard to pull the Georgia players from their defensive responsibilities at times. Uh, but I think there's like when you watch him because he's so clearly the best athlete of the field at, on the field, right? At, and and he's six foot five and two hundred seventy five pounds and moves like he's two fifty. Um, I mean, I, I posted a clip recently of him in coverage. That was just like uh, unbelievable. It was uh, it was against Auburn. I forgot the back's name. Oh, Bigsby. Yeah. I mean, he's so smooth, just flipping his hips. And I, and I think it was like a wheel route. He, he He's really got some incredible tools. But I just don't know how you can take a guy who has less than 10 sacks over his college career with the number one overall pick. And again, like I said, he did play at the edge a decent amount so i i just i don't know like i yeah. the tools are tantalizing but i just feel like for me it's just more about like the position where he's drafted yeah exactly that, that's just what i keep going back to too number one overall is just man that, that's just pretty rich for me i mean i i see him you know i've watched a lot of like an emmanuel ogba over the last couple of years who mm. i see him kind of being like that but just a really juiced up version which is a really good player um, but Ogba is really good inside, reduced inside. He's a pretty good power rusher off the edge. But, you know, if you're getting a really juiced up version of that, I mean, 
that's not necessarily what I would want at the number one overall pick. And then, you know, again, I could see him technically. I mean, I guess he has the ceiling of maybe somebody like uh, maybe like a Cam Jordan, you know, somebody like that. Maybe he could Mm. potentially turn into. But I just there's a long way to go in terms of being that refined. And I just there's no guarantee that'll get there. So that's it's tough. Yes. So my my next two guys in order are Jermaine Johnson and then George Karloftis. I think I've seen them flipped a lot. It seems like they're kind of the consensus next group after, you know, Jabba with the Achilles injury. Um, I really wanted to like Karloftis more than I did. I just, (laughs) uh, he's so strong and, you know, obviously he's going to be, you know, this is one where I think scheme really matters. Yeah. There's, he's, he's in a three, he gotta be a three, four. And to me, um, you can tell me if you disagree, but I agree. He's just very stiff. I, I don't know. Where are you at with him? Yeah, he can time stuff up really well and kind of sink his hands and beat guys quickly. But I think that's more of like a snap timing thing as opposed to like raw explosiveness or, you know, being bendy and stuff like that. I think he's pretty, pretty technically sound in terms of how he can can kind of like sink his hands and feet, which I think that coordination needed to do that is really impressive, really important to, to rush off the edge. And I think he can string stuff together pretty well with his hands. And like I said, like you said, with the power to kind of set everything up and the strength that to me speaks of a high floor guy, but I, I just do not see the, a ton of upside with him either. You know, um, for me, you know, I, I think like late first is where you'd want to get a guy like that. Um, yeah. And I agree with Jermaine Johnson being above him, just, you know, he's, he's longer and more explosive. I mean, that's, that's really kind of the differentiating factors to me with those two guys. And man, I, I was at the senior bowl and I, I saw Jermaine Johnson up yeah. close and he was truly a man amongst boys. There it was, it was wild to watch. I mean, I, you know, I've, I've gone to a few senior bowls and he really looked different out there. Um, and he was spinning on guys inside. He had an inside spin he was using. Mm. He has the long arm to set up, you know, his power moves. Uh, he could cross a guy's face too. And you watch the tape against Iki Aquanu. He was really impressive yeah. in that game this year. Uh, he He's really just caught my eye just at so many different points throughout this process. And I'm, I mean, I really like Jermaine Johnson and just kind of his attitude and the way he plays and all that kind of stuff. And I, I think Karlofkis has some of that too, but I just, I just see more upside with um, Johnson and I see kind of like the similar floor as well. So, you know, yeah. Johnson for me is the, the next guy. I think they're both super high motor guys. Um, mm-hmm. And, but I think Johnson just has that edge when it comes to his flexibility, the athleticism, the moves, um, you know, I, I really loved his tape this year. I, I, I didn't, I barely, I didn't even watch him. Right. And of course I'd heard, uh, oh, you know, I had to leave Georgia or whatever. And I was like, Oh, is he even as good as any of these guys? I, I think he's extremely impressive. Um, you know, I, both speed and power. I think he is, I could just see him day one lining up outside and making an impact. You know, I, I think there's some limitations, you know, I mentioned Ben, he's not like, it's, it's really none of these guys are like crazy bendy. I mean, I, you know, I mean, we, we talked about, yeah, we don't have I, a bond or anything. Yeah. T- Tibbs, but, um, but he, I, I just think he's kind of, and he's still developing too, you know what I mean? So I feel like 
the ceiling could be a lot higher than what we've seen. Yeah, he is still developing. That's a good point. He's two years older than all these guys we've talked about, but he is mm. kind of young as a football player. So, you know, which kind of reminds me of some offensive linemen in this draft as well. But yeah, he he does have a little bit more room to grow than I think you would um, expect from a typical guy who, you know, he's 23. Um, but yeah, I, I do mm. agree that there there is some room to grow there a little bit more than, you know, there typically would be. All right, so let's wrap, wrap up with the D-line. I just want to talk about a couple of guys who were teammates. Um, and it's just, I, I'm really trying to like not make too big of a deal or just not to s- just revel in the Georgia t- defense. I mean, it's insane. <laughs> it is, it's so unfair. Um, so I think Jordan Davis versus Javante Wyatt, who, by the way, speaking of age is 24. I don't, I, I didn't realize that until a week ago. Um, and Davis is 22. I think this is a fascinating football question because Wyatt, they're both fantastic to me. Um, Wyatt is like the, if you just looked at the production, the positional versatility, you think about what's useful in today's NFL, it, why it makes sense, right? Like, um, you know, you can, I, I mean, I think he's, you probably want him as a, as a three tech in a four, three, but he can do a bunch of different things. He's also the athleticism numbers are impressive too. Like he's really, really good. And then when you think about Jordan Davis, who, you know, is more of a nose tackle, um, didn't play that much again, without watching, if you just looked at these guys on paper, well, I guess if you look at Jordan Davis athleticism on paper, you'd be blown, your mind would be blown too. But when you just think about the positions that they play, you think, Oh, there's no way Davis gets drafted over Wyatt. And then you watch him and you see him run and you think about the possibility and it becomes a lot murkier. So I want to know, I mean, th- this has been a discussion, I feel like, on NFL Twitter for a while, ever since Davis like just blew up the combine. How do you view like these two players in conjunction with each other? Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of favor Davis if we're just trying to you know, pick one for a defense. I, I always kind of have an affinity, I guess, for guys like him because I'm a huge like Linval Joseph fan. Um, I like interior defensive line, old school nose tackle kind of guys. And Davis is not necessarily old school, but just more of kind of more of an interior guy where Wyatt could play the three a little bit more as a pro, I think, than Jordan Davis, three technique that is. Um, But Jordan Davis, I mean, I I like him a lot. I do have some serious questions about him just in terms of the snap count thing and, you know, just him probably needing to play more snaps in the pro game. And is he going to maintain that level of explosiveness throughout the course of a game, his size and things like that. I think those are valid questions, but when you're talking about such a special um, athletic guy like this, who's, you know, 340 pounds and this all time tester uh, to me, it's like a super Linval Joseph and like that in almost any defense would be a, uh, an impact player, uh, you know, without a doubt. I mean, a guy who could take on double teams um, at a very high level may not ever develop into a very high-end pass rusher, has the tools to maybe do it, but we didn't really see it a whole lot in college. He's more of a, you know, he compresses the pocket, yeah. um, which I think he could, you know, that's very helpful uh, for a guy who's an elite run defender. Um, very good in pursuit too. That's the kind of Linval parallel that I draw because oh Linval God. was so good in pursuit for being such a massive dude. Um, he can chase guys down out to the, you know, out to the uh, hash marks and stuff like that. And I see Davis doing a s- similar things. Um, so 
I like Wyatt kind of as that more of that slashing penetrator type, but to me, Davis, just what he can be for you as a run defender is so special. I think that area of his game is better than anything Wyatt can do. And he has some of that upside too to kind of, you know, become, I think probably a, a solid to good power rusher. So it, yeah. yeah. It feels it feels like again, we're having like another floor ceiling question, right? Like yeah. so much in this draft. But um, you know, the the ceiling is Vita Vea, who is hilariously like three or maybe two inches shorter than they certainly don't look like the same body types. I think they also weigh about the same, which is very funny, but the ceiling is like everything you just described in terms of the way he's able to push the pocket, um, create opportunities for other members of the defensive line. And then the chase, I mean, when he chases down, this is something that I just kept writing over and over when he chases down running backs in space, it doesn't look real. It looks like crazy CGI, yeah. like a, like a refrigerator, <laughs> that is on wheels and I, like a refrigerator crossed with a motorbike. I don't know. I got to think of a better analogy, but it's insane. Uh, it is. It is. It's, I mean, and then watching these guys together in this, in the uh, championship, watching him and Wyatt like run a stunt. You're like, wait, those guys are both so ginormous. And both of them have exceptional lateral agility for that size. I mean, it's just unreal. And it, it is another Georgia question too, right? Which is like, okay, how much of this was Georgia and what he was asked to do? And what do we, how do we project that into the NFL? Yeah. And the craziest thing might be that, I mean, this is kind of off topic a little bit, but I think the best guy on that defensive line is Jalen Carter and he's coming out next oh my year. God. So, it's like, so stupid. It, they're just so insanely stupid. talented. It's so stupid. Um, yeah. And then just to go back to Vea, I mean, you're, I remember when he was drafted over Derwin James and I like lost my mind, you know, at yeah. the bot when the Bucks took him, I was discussion. like, this is, and like, you know, I, I don't think that's I mean, obviously Derwin James is an incredible player. And I was like, how dare you take a nose tackle at 16 or 17 or whatever it was. And if he has that upside, it will be worth it to take him in the top 15, I believe. But it really is about the team, the projection. They're both fabulous players. I mean, why I just don't want to shortchange Wyatt before we get off of this. Um, his agility, like I talked about his agility, just his ability to get skinny in the A and B gaps at his size. Mm. It blows me away. Um, and then I think he does, you know, like what you, you talked about his, uh, pass rush upside, um, super, actually he has a higher pressure rate than Trayvon Walker. Again, usage, 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 but this dude yeah. is going to be good in the NFL. So I feel like you kind of can't miss with either of them candidly, but, um, it'll be fun to see like which teams take them because it'll tell us a lot about how they view their usage and upside. Um, okay. Let's talk about the offensive line. I, I, this is your bread and butter and I, Spent too much time talking about, um, I don't know, Aiden Hutchinson. So um, no, no. I'm going to start right here. It seems like the consensus top three offensive tackles, who many people have going in like the top eight, are Charles Cross out of Mississippi State, Evan Neal, Bama, and then Iki Iquanu out of NC State. How do you have these guys ranked? Yeah, so for me, it's the tier one is Evan Neal and Iki Aquanu, and then Charles mm. Cross would be kind of in the next tier. So, um, and I've gone back and forth on how to rank Aquanu and Neal pretty much since December when I first put my initial grades on them. And, you know, I've kind of, I initially went with Aquanu because of what he does as a run blocker. And I haven't, you know, soured on that at all. I mean, I still think the best way to describe him is he is his run blocking is better than what any other offensive lineman in this class does as a run or pass blocker. So 
if you want to take a guy like that who, who offers that explosive power at the point of a contact in the run game, who can displace guys on impact, who could chase and connect on second and third level targets with unreal, you know, uh, effectiveness. I mean, if you put him in the right system, you know, and really what I mean by that is like a Shanahan-esque yeah. type of system, you know, wide zone, you know, you can mix stuff up, be more multiple like Shanahan has done the recent, you know, the, the last couple of years. But really, if your bread and butter is wide zone, tight zone, you're running, um, you know, bootlegs and play action, heavy play action usage, RPOs, misdirection, that kind of thing to allow him to be aggressive in pass protection. So he doesn't have to take like true drop back pass sets because that's his kind of his, his weakness. If you can kind of mitigate that a little bit, then I totally get making him, you know, your, your tackle one. Uh, but, but for me, I think Neil, it's kind of like that Thibodeau uh, Hutchinson discussion a little bit where Neil was Hutchinson for me, where he's a little bit more polished, uh, a little bit more well-rounded, still offers a lot of upside in terms of physical traits. Um, even though he didn't test, I think he would have tested well. You know, he's Bruce Feldman's number one freak in the country on his freak list. Mm. Um, you know, ideal measurements, all that kind of stuff. So I still think he has plenty of upside as well. Doesn't He's not, you know, as explosive and dynamic in the run game as Iquanu is, but man, his pass protection is very clean. Uh, and he's very fluid. Um, and I, I just, you know, that's the guy that I would probably lean as the best tackle in the draft, but Icky is in that same tier. Like I said, he'd be two and then cross would be three. Um, cross is a very interesting prospect. He comes from an air raid scheme, which is, um, in a lot of offensive line circles, kind of a red flag because, well, different reasons. Um, for me, I think the the kind of the red flag about an air raid offensive tackle is the lack of diversity in the run game is typically there where you don't get to see him execute a lot yeah. of pro level, you know, run blocking concepts. Uh, it's usually very repetitive, usually a, a very um, like high tempo offense. So the opportunity for finishing blocks isn't always there. And then also the increased splits that offensive linemen play with in the air raid reduces space for the pass rushers um, in, in pass protection. So he sees a lot of five techniques. He sees a lot of maybe just a little bit wider than five techniques in pass protection. And that just makes things a little bit easier for you to tackle. So I think the learning curve, I guess, for him going to the pro game in terms of the alignments that he's going to see is going to be a little bit more steep than the other two guys. Hmm but he does have a lot of the physical traits that you look for in terms of how quick he is out of his stance. He's very fluid and really good hand usage as well. And kind of an interesting spin on him being a quote-unquote air raid tackle is he got actually recruited in a totally different scheme. He didn't get recruited as an air raid tackle. He got recruited uh, more of like a downhill power run scheme. So he's actually a really physical guy who's stronger than you would think for being an air raid tackle. So I have like a mid first round grade on him where I have like kind of a fringe top 10 grade on the other two guys. So I'm still high on him. I still like him, but I just think the, uh, you know, just kind of that learning curve, I guess, to go back to, yeah. I think is just a little bit more pronounced than the other two guys. All right. Let's start with your first two. Cause I, I find Charles cross really interesting and I want to kind of drill down on a couple of things you mentioned, but um, I think Evan Neal versus Kwanu, it's fascinating because Evan Neal is six foot seven and three hundred fifty pounds. Iki Kwanu is six foot four, three twenty, and we're kind of like we're asking basically like, okay, Evan Neal's this size. I mean, how many guys at that size 
like have we seen? <laughs> um, I mean, there's like, you know, the I mean, Browns, Orlando, Trent Brown, Mayada. Yeah. Um, there, there's only, you can count them on one hand pretty much. Yeah. And then Iquanu, I, I'm like, okay, so he did play left tackle in college, but I wonder like, I see he's so nasty. And mm-hmm. you talked about how good he is. I mean, he's like the perfect zone blocking offensive lineman. The comp, the the power, the movement, his ability to um, just physically impose his will while in motion is yep. super impressive. Um, he just destroys dudes. But I just wonder. Like, I'm I, I, this is me, like kind of you know looking at these two guys and asking like, can he be a you know, because we're talking about these both these players being mocked in the top five by, you know, top six at least. Can he be an elite left tackle in terms of pass protection? Or is it totally scheme dependent? I guess that's my main question with him. That's my main question as well, honestly. And it, it really is uh, kind of a difficult one to answer because on one hand, the things that are needed for him to become that elite left tackle are technically fixable and coachable because it it is really technique based it's not foot quickness it's not explosiveness it's not lateral agility it's not length it's none of those things that you can't really improve upon that much it's really technique however it is a significant amount of technique because he, his technique started to break down as the year went on last year you watch him late in the year it just progressively got worse i think in pass protection um especially against like wake forest and syracuse late in the year uh, those two tapes were kind of worrisome to me. And really, I mean, without getting too technical with it, it really is kind of a tendency for him to be over aggressive and overset guys and just kind of give up that easy inside access to the quarterback. And that is a major red flag. Um, it, it is fixable because you know, he really just needs to stay inside out on pass rushers and learn to do that. He hasn't played left tackle you know, a whole lot in his career, um, you know, in terms of starts and things like that. So Maybe it, it is something that he can improve upon, but man, I mean, he opens up his hips a little too early at times at two in his vertical set. Um, you know, so there's a lot of things with his feet and his sets that are going to need to be improved on true drop back passing reps on, you know, in those high leverage situations when maybe you can't go play action, you can't go RPO and you really got to pass the ball. Like, you know, those are the money downs in the NFL. And those are the ones that kind of, where the variance for his game is going to be higher than somebody like Neil. And that's mm. really what kept me from having him as the best tackle yeah. in the draft. But I actually have him as an offensive lineman as well. So like, so he could play, he's a guy you could just put in somewhere, you know, and, and he'd be dominant. I just want him on my team. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if, you, if this conversation kind of reminds me of the wide receiver conversation where there's like a lot of really good guys, but they all have question marks. They all are very, yeah, it, vibes based. I feel like um, it's it's like pick your flavor, but there's no consensus. Yep. Like this is the dude, it, it, and, and it, which is by the way a trend throughout this draft. I think aside from like safety, um, maybe a couple of other positions. So cross, you know, before we get to kind of the the interior lineman, um, you know, you talked about uh, look, he's he has the Andre Dillard stigma. <laughs> like let's call it what it is, right? Um, mm-hmm. Coming from an air raid offense. I get that. However, I just can't stop thinking about, and maybe it's because this was the first game I watched him against Alabama, which is of course, you know, with Anderson, amazing 
amazing front seven. He didn't allow a single pressure. Um, I thought he was extremely impressive. I mean, he just looked like, you know, his hands, his strength just really impressed me. Um, I don't know. I, I guess this is, this is an interesting one. Cause I think like the, the, the Mike Leach, you know, the, of it all is, is really weighing on this, but I do wonder if it's weighing on it too much. Yeah. I mean, you know, to me, it's not quite Dillard, like, you know, cause I thought, you know, for one Dillard didn't get tested as much as cross did in terms yeah. of level of competition. That's a big one. Um, and I think that point about how cross was recruited and the system he was recruited for is important because when you really watch his tape a lot and you see him run blocking more and more and you kind of build those kind of that, that library of him as a run blocker, I think he's stronger than Dillard was. He's more physical. He's a better finisher than Dillard was. Um, he doesn't, I don't think the soft label is, you know, applicable for him being an air raid tackle at all. So, that's why I still kind of carry that bigger grade on him because I don't see that being as big of a concern. It's more so that alignment factor where even against Bama, um, you know, he didn't get, he, he only blocked Will Anderson once that game and it was, it was on a stunt, uh, which is kind of unfortunate. I wish he could have blocked him more. Um, he, he mainly went against their other guy, number 15, I believe I forgot his name, but, but yeah, the Arkansas tape is I think, I think a really good one for people to watch. He went against a guy named Trey Williams and, Trey Williams was in a wide nine a lot that game. So that forced Cross to really have to get out of his stance and get to a landmark um, more so than he typically had to. And he got challenged a little bit more in that game and lost a couple big reps in that game, um, which, you know, isn't a a major thing. But you you get to see a little bit more. I I think the picture there in that game was a little bit better to what he's going to see in the NFL. So that's that's one tape that I think is a must watch for Cross. But yeah, I mean, the Alabama tape was impressive, especially in the run game as well. That one, he had that one where he pulled out in space, I think on a tunnel screen and just decleated that, yes. I want to say, a slot corner. Um, so, like, he has that element where he can get out, you know, in the run game and track down targets as well. And there's a lot to like about him. If people had him as their top tackle, I mean, I wouldn't think that's crazy. Uh, but, yeah, just just for the reasons I already mentioned, I, I just think the uh, – you know, initially um, it might be a little bit more rocky for him in pass protection, but I think he has the traits to kind of bridge that gap over time. So real quick before we move inside, is Trevor Penning in the top 15 crazy to you? Um, I wouldn't say crazy, but... Also describing not- him, you're not allowed to use the word nasty. Okay, go. Okay, yeah. So <laughs> ideal height, weight, and length. Um, so, you know, six, six, three thirty. you know, 34 plus inch arms. So checks all those boxes. Uh, I think above average play speed or athletic ability on the field, he tested like an elite athlete, but I don't see that on tape. Hmm. I think he's a little bit more disjointed than you would expect. If you look at him on paper, um, he plays very high. Uh, I don't think he uses leverage to his advantage very well. He doesn't recover super well in his hands need quite a bit of work and pass protection in terms of how he times his strikes and things like that. Um, and I think when you're watching a guy at a school like Northern Iowa, a smaller level school, granted he has a lot of reps where he's just straight up dominating and yeah. bullying guys, but there are a lot of reps where he's getting challenged a little bit more than you would expect a guy that much bigger than everybody else. 
And that to me was, you know, kind of a red flag. And then you saw the exact same thing at the senior bowl. He was bullying guys sometimes, but man, he had some ugly losses as well. And, you know, of course those got kind of overlooked for, for what he did as a finisher. So to me, he just has quite a bit of ways to go technically. And I don't know how much of it is correctable. Honestly, when I first watched him, I compared him to Matt Filer um, mm. when Filer was playing right tackle in Pittsburgh. That's the kind of player I see. He just maybe has a little bit more upside because of the athletic ability, but that's the kind of like level player I see. Hmm. All right. So I actually misspoke because, you know, I was talking about how like there's a lot of good groups, but there's not like a dominant player. So I mentioned safety center is I, yeah. I haven't, I have not spoken with a single person who has not mentioned that Tyler Linderbaum is not only the best center in this class, but maybe the best center in recent memory. Um, this is another one where I think, you know, it's kind of like, okay, positional value, like, well, I, not less positional value, more like which teams are picking where. And I, I guess I want to ask you, um, is this another, you know, we talked about Aquanu. Does it have to be a zone blocking team? Uh, and do you think there's any dings on his game that might keep him out of the top 15? Yeah, so I do think he's the best center in the class. Um, maybe I would agree with like the best center prospect in recent memory necessarily because of some of the the dings that he has on on his profile. And I mean, it's really hard to over, overlook the arm length thing. Um, you know, if he was in the twentieth percentile or something, okay. But man, it's like one percentile or whatever, thirty one and one eighth, I think it is. And hmm. you know it goes back to the conversation with uh, Hutchinson in terms of establishing that first meaningful contact. That's going to be a challenge for him um, in the NFL uh, against certain body types, especially a certain, certain scenarios where he's isolated. Um, and you typically get isolated more in gap scheme um, run concepts where you're not working in conjunction with the offensive lineman next to you, as you do in the zone scheme. So for those reasons, I do think he is more kind of scheme dependent and, um, and that drives down the value a little bit, uh, you know, as well. But man, like I keep going back to what he does in the zone run game after Icky's run blocking, I'd probably say Linderbaum's run blocking is better than what any other offensive lineman in the class does. Something um, that puzzles me a lot is I keep seeing him mock to the Ravens at 14, which is like the Ravens need a I've center. Yeah. But like, yeah. that's, he's not, that's not what they do. I mean, I, I mean, they do a lot of things yeah. in the run game, but I feel like they would need, someone more scheme agnostic at that position. And I would, I, if I was the rate, I mean, all of it is dependent on how the board shakes out, but I would say like the need at edge rusher outweighs what he can bring to that specific offense. Yeah. I mean, that I generally do agree with you. You would need to uh, kind of tweak the scheme a little bit. If you added Linderbaum there, maybe incorporate more, um, you know, concepts where he can get out on the move and things like that, maybe lead in the run game a little bit more, yeah. whether it's pin pull or more outside zone stuff like that. Um, and just kind of, you know, cater to him a little bit more. And I think that's ultimately what it comes down to and why his value is being driven down is because you do need to cater the scheme to him um, a little bit mm. in terms of, you know, the run game, but more so pass protection. I think that's, that's the big one for me. And I, I think of the ideal scenario is how the Eagles have catered to Kelsey and pass protection. And oh, that's something, yeah, yeah it, it's point. really interesting. 
um, because I've and I've become more aware of this over the years attending offensive line masterminds and in, in Texas every year is kind of like a get together with all these offensive linemen in, in the league. And I've heard, you know, Brandon Brooks and Lane Johnson and other guys on that line talk about their pass protection. And at least when Peters was there, I mean, they really basically said the tackles were on an island. We're going to have these big hulking guards help out Kelsey and pass protection. And that allows him to thrive in the run game. And it kind of, you know, protects him a little bit when needed against certain body types. That's how I see Linderbaum. Like a team is going to have to kind of build it that way, or at least have that already in place to where he has those bigger type of longer guards next to him that can provide good help when needed. And then, man, you just let him go in the run game. So yeah, I mean, typically a top 10, top 15 center, that's not the caveats that you want to have. Right, right. So that's that's why he's a little bit lower. But man, if you can if you can put him in the right kind of the right fit, I think what he does in the run game is is truly special. So So my yeah. last question for you is about the guards. Kenyon Green, Texas A and M, or Zion Johnson, Boston College? Oh, Zion Johnson for me. I mean, he's been my guy since this is like if I had to pick one guy in the draft that I would bet on have being a 10 year above average starter, it'd be Zion Johnson. Really? Uh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Then explain. Yeah, Zion's Zion's my guy in this draft. And I mean, it really, you know, when I do my reports, it's pretty much primarily based on the, the film. And I watched a lot of film of him and, you know, I think it was like eight or nine games, honestly. And I mean, every game was the same. Uh, he's, he's very consistent in his technique and fundamentals, very fundamentally sound, doesn't play outside of himself really ever. Mm. He's, he's always centered. Um, he, you know, just plays with a really strong base. He has a lot of power and strength to his game as well. Um, but he's very smart in terms of how he processes things on the field. I think his play speed is really good. Um, he sustains blocks very well. Uh, you know, he can steer guys in the run game. Um, he's just very polished. And I, I don't like to throw away that cliche term, you know, too often, but I think it's warranted with him. He just, there's not a lot of weaknesses in his game at all. And I compared him to Kevin Zeitler. Um, and that's the career that I see Zion having. Maybe never being an all pro, maybe, you know, Pro Bowl here and there, maybe, but man, he's just going to be a reliable starter um, who's above average to very good in some areas for a long time. And to have that left tackle experience in his back pocket helps him as a yeah. pass protector at guard, just checks a lot of boxes. And yeah, I mean, I did a film room with him and kind of hearing his his process, you know, and just learning a little bit more about him just sold me on, on him even more. He's just highly intelligent and all checks, all the football character boxes, all that kind of stuff too. So yeah, just a, a safe prospect. If there is one, I'll tell you what's not weak. The lower half of his body. That's just, no. I, my analysis is not sophisticated. Thank God you're here, but just watching him. Holy crap. It's like a truck. Um, <laughs> it just, it's, I mean, God, uh, he, how yeah. you want it to look? Yeah, it's how you want it to look. Don't take a truck. Um, well, that is Brandon Thorne, the creator and author of the Trench Warfare Substack. Brandon, thank you so much for joining the show and dropping knowledge today. Um, really appreciate it. Yeah, it was my pleasure. Thank you for having me, Mina. All right, guys. After the break, we're going to be joined by Jordan Reed of ESPN to talk about some of the other players in the draft. 
This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. And I have to say, speaking from experience recently, having tried it for the first time in Detroit, it is absolutely delicious. Right now, you can get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jet's signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's number eight, S-A-V-E. Jet's Pizza. Better because it has to be. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors. I do, you do, we all do. Big, small. And when we keep them bottled up, as I sometimes have had happen in the past, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. It's helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who have experienced major trauma. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Mina Show today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Mina Show, M-I-N-A-S-H-O-W. All right, guys, welcome back. As promised, we are joined for the second half of this episode by ESPN draft analyst Jordan Reed, first-time guest, along with Brandon Thorne, who was on earlier. Jordan, welcome to the show. So happy to be here, Mina. I've been a big fan of yours for a very, very long time, so it means a lot. Thank you. Well, I, I, I feel like I should warn you at the top of the show, the show, pardon me, I made a joke about um, how Lenny, my dog, co-host, agitates for his dinner starting around 3 p.m., even though 4 p.m. is his dinner time. So we are coming close on 3 p.m. So at some point, you're going to hear scratching at the door and someone potentially busting through. And I just want you to know that is a dog. <laughs> I'll definitely remember that. Um, probably also, it might just be because he disagrees with your takes um, as the co-host of the show. <laughs> All right. So first half of the show, we talked about the offensive and defensive linemen in this draft. Um, and last week we talked about the quarterbacks, wide receivers. So we're going to really hit everything else now. Um, and I think, so, you know, I've been approaching this by basically talking about the top prospects, which means running back and tight end are, we're, well, frankly, we're not going to spend a lot of time talking about them. But, well, let, let me start with um, running back and tight end, just kind of treetops, Jordan. Do you anticipate any of these players being taken in the first round? I don't, but you never know with the NFL draft just because nobody was expecting Clyde edwards Lair to be a first-round right. selection. But last year was much different. We kind of expected Najee Harris and Travis Etienne to be yes. first-rounders going into it. But this class is really, really different. If there was one I would say that has a chance, it would be Brees Hall from Iowa State. But this class definitely is different. And I yeah. think it's, it's a really, really deep class, honestly. I think there's a lot of depth in the third and fourth rounds and even going into the later rounds too. But there's just not that bona a top guy like we have seen in years past yeah i mean you never know as evidenced by me screaming when the seahawks drafted rashad penny 
uh, years ago. <laughs> uh, you're any, yeah, anything can happen. Um, and yes, you never want to count it out. Uh, let's start start with Brees Hall though. It seems like, correct me if I'm wrong. It's kind of a Brees Hall, Kenneth Walker consensus top two at this point. Yeah. Um, so Brees, uh, I didn't get to meet him at the combine, but I was in an elevator with his entire family who were wearing Brees mode shirts, which instantly vaulted him up my big board. Um, I love watching him play. Like, I, I don't think he's a first rounder. I, I don't think generally teams should draft running backs in the first round, but I think he's really fun to watch, especially like at his size. Um, he's, so he's six foot one, but he moves like he's a lot shorter to me, which I really like, like his balance and acceleration are really impressive. And he has kind of like an unusual running style. How, how do you, why do you think he's the number one right now? Well, a lot of people were questioning his speed uh, for whatever reason yeah. off of tape. And then he goes out and he runs a 439, I believe it was, or low four fours. Uh, so he, he tested phenomenally. And then, like you said, I think he's such a balanced runner, but also he runs so well as far as his footwork. His vision is terrific. I think he's one of the, as far as the vision, I think he's one of the better ones. Him and Isaiah Spiller, I think those two share mm. as far as at the top having the best vision in this class, but his resume is outstanding. It feels like he's been at Iowa State forever, but he's one of the younger prospects in this class, just turned 21 years old, so which is huge for a running back, especially when you're talking about guys that are struggling to get to that second contract. I think whenever you have youth on your side as a running back, that's always going to help you. 24 straight games with a rushing touchdown, which I think is a phenomenal stat. That's really hard to do in college, so he has the resume, he has the testing data, and then also he has youth on his side too, so I think he's a definite RB1 candidate. Yeah. Um, friend of the show, Danny Kelly, comped him to Antonio Gibson, which is one I really liked. Um, yeah. You know, just the size. Obviously, Antonio Gibson is at least 6'1". And that combination of like, you know, in college, I think with Gibson, there was like, oh, maybe how fast it, well, you know, like what are, is it, can he be like that complete three down back? I think, you know, he's really thought of as almost a receiver coming out of Memphis, like a lot of backs coming out of there, um, which is something that, by the way, Brees Hall is very good at as well. But I think, again, like between the tackles, um, like the vision really helps along with um, his patience. And I think, like I look at him and I just, I can immediately see him succeeding immediately in the NFL. Whereas with, with Walker, it's more of the power game, right? Like just the ability to break tackles, his explosiveness, his strength. Um, he almost, you know, and then he has like more of a traditional running back size. Um, I think like he is more of the obvious, like, you know, first round type running back. Yeah. I mean, he's Kareem Hunt all over again. If you're looking yeah. for a comparison, he reminds me a lot of Kareem when he was coming out of Toledo, just really good with this ball security. His contact balance is so good. He has that extra body armor that I like to say to just mm. take on those blows and just shake them off. He's really, really good at breaking contact and then just fighting through those tacklers. He makes life so hard on those solo tackles. You're not going to bring him down by yourself. And I think that's something that is really special about his game. Just the biggest question mark about him is just the lack of receiving production. But I think with him, he's one of those guys that I was really looking forward to seeing at the combine just because I think what happens a lot with these running backs is that even though they didn't have the production in college, that doesn't necessarily mean that they can't be involved in the passing game. And I think that's something that is an extra, extra layer to Kenneth Walker's evaluation just because mm. even though I think he only had like 13 catches total last year, 
that doesn't mean that he necessarily can't do it. I think that's going to be an added incentive to his game on the next level of where he's just more involved in the passing game. He was so good as a rusher that Michigan State just said, I mean, why do we have to use him in the passing game? <laughs> Let's just keep right. running the football. Let's just keep running the football with him. So he's definitely an interesting one. But he reminds me a lot of Kareem Hunt when he was coming out of Toledo a few years back. 89 missed tackles in 2021 per SIS. Uh or no, pardon me, pro football focus. That's more than any running back in America. And yeah, it's like the reception, receiving ability is a question mark. I would say the pass pro is also a question mark. But in just in terms of like that bell cow back, um, you know, who you can count on on early downs, he's definitely it. Um, yeah, so I, you know, I, I don't think these guys are drafted in the first round. I think it's also going to be like about the kind of team that wants them and views them as a missing piece. But um you know, I, I see them both as like being successful NFL players. I also feel that way about Trey McBride, although he's no longer the consensus number one tight end pick. I, it seems like I, I feel like when the draft process started, he was seen as like the undeniable. So Colorado State, by the way, I should have mentioned that um, top tight end. But since then, I mean, you know, just quick facts about Trey McBride. Trey McBride, blah, uh, he led all FBS tight ends in receiving yards and receptions. Um you know, very good route runner. Um, I would say like not crazy top end speed. And maybe that's why he's falling. You know, some of the guys with superior athleticism might be rising, but do you view him as your tight end one? And do you see him as a first round pick? Yeah. I mean, I don't see him as a first round pick, but I think he's probably mid to late second round guy. I think that's probably where the run on this tight end class is probably going to start. I think late second, early third is where we're going to see a lot of these guys come off of the board. And like running back, this tight end class is just a mixed bag. We don't have that Cal Pitts type of guy in this draft class of where he's just what I like to call an alien as a receiver. You don't necessarily have to use him in the blocking game just because he's so good as a receiver. But McBride just has such a weird resume last year, meaning like he had over 90 catches, but he only had one touchdown. So that just goes to show Hmm. you that they really had a lot of struggles with getting the ball, what I like to call in the paint or in the end zone with him. So I think that's something that's missing from his resume right now, just how consistent he can be in the red zone area, which is where we like to see a lot of these tight ends used on the next level. He just didn't have that production. And I don't know if it's just they just struggled to scheme stuff open for him. And there was just so much. Uh, focus on him in the red zone or if he just has struggles getting open in the red zone. So I think that's something to watch very closely with him on the next level. But, I mean, he has it all as far as a tight end. He's very involved. He can block from attached. Um, He can block in line. He can also block flexed out too. But also something that goes unnoticed about his resume is that he led all of the FBS in yards after catch last year for tight ends too. After the catch, catch, he had over 480 of his 900 plus receiving yards. Over half of it came after the ball was in his possession. So he's going to give you plenty after the catch too. And he's not a super speedy guy, but he just understands how to break tackles. And he's kind of like not comparing him to Gronk, but Gronk's not an overly fast guy, but he just understands how to break tackles. Um, and getting to the second and third levels of the defense. So it's kind of like that of where um, he's not an overly twitchy mover, but he just understands how to break tackles. Yeah, I think he has um, really good awareness of space and he takes great angles. And and, and when you talk about his ability to get yards after the catch, it's like, okay, how do you do that if you're not exceptionally strong or exceptionally fast? Um, And it is, I think, that sort of route running ability and sort of awareness of the defense that, has sort of contributed to his production. Also the lack of scoring. I mean, he's six foot four. So, you know, he's, he's not again like that just monster who you can post up. 
And I think that also might be something that's kind of having te- making teams shy away. Although, you know, a lot of the other, I mean, there's not that many gigantic tight ends in this class. So I don't know. I agree. I don't think any, I, any of these players are, I mean, I know people like love Isaiah likely speed, uh, Greg Dulcich, uh, versatility, you know, there's Jeremy Ruckert blocking. I mean, a lot of these players have interesting skill sets and I think, um, have the potential to be NFL starters. I just, it's just first round, right? Like it's like, uh, right. <laughs> I don't know. Um, okay. I feel like I, that, I, I treated that so customarily. I was like, <laughs> all right, let's acknowledge these two positions exist. Um, a position where I, I fully expect at least one player, probably more to go in the first round is linebacker. Um, I am seeing Devin Lloyd out of Utah, not only comp to Fred Warner, by a lot of people. <laughs> I'm seeing mocks where he is top 10. I am seeing mocks where, much to my terror, he goes to the Seahawks. That's not shade on Devin Lloyd. That's more just about the Seahawks and the notion of them taking a linebacker over, like, I don't know, Stingley. Um, do you think he's being overhyped or properly hyped or underhyped? Um, I think he's being overhyped a little bit, honestly. Okay. Um, I like Devin Lloyd, but top 10 is way too rich for me. Uh, I actually like N'Kobe Dean better. I have N'Kobe Dean as my top linebacker. Oh, okay, great. Oh, we're simpatico. Okay, talk about why, and then I'll tell you why I think so. So with Devin Lloyd, he's a former safety. He was a converted safety after his first year at Utah, and I still think he kind of plays that way. He's not an overly physical type of guy. They use him off of the edge, so he has that in his bag as far as what he can do. I think he's really good as far as attacking the first level and then just penetrating the first level as a run defender. He does have some things that he needs to clean up as far as some coverages. He does get a little bit loopy in space when he has too much grass to cover and he lose track. He loses track of some of the guys that are entering and exiting some of his zones. I think he'll be fine in man coverage. But, I mean, he's a really good player. I don't want to take anything away from him. But I just like N'Kobe Dean's resume a little bit more and then just how instinctive he is. With N'Kobe Dean, everything is off of instincts. And I just think that's something that you can't teach at linebacker. Either you have it or you don't. It's kind of like vision at running back. You can't really teach him. You can teach him where to go, but you can't help them execute, if that makes sense. I think with N'Kobe Dean, even though he's undersized and everybody's going to make a lot of hoopla about he can't get off blocks and all these things, but – as long as you keep those big bodies in front of him where they can eat up space and just allow him to roam free, I think he's going to be an exceptional player. So it's kind of like Devin White and Levante David of where you have that athletic guy beside him. As long as you have that other athletic piece beside Nicobe mm-hmm. Dean, I think he could be a high-level player. Do you view him as a Mike or a Will? I like him better as a Mike, honestly. I like him much better in the middle just because that's what he's used to doing. Um, that's what he's always been at Georgia. And I just like his leadership ability. I think that's something else that is just at the top of the positive column in his resume. He's, I mean, we can go on and on about this Georgia defense, right? But the player that was at the nucleus of it all, that was making the calls and getting everybody in the right spot was N'Kobe Dean. He's a mechanical engineer major, so we know he's a super smart guy. (laughs) So, I mean, he's just checking box after box after box throughout the pre-draft process. And I know we weren't able to see him do anything as far as testing-wise, but whenever you turn on the film, I mean, this guy just has a GPS tracker on the ball, like wherever yes. the ball is. He he just knows where the ball is going to be. He's he's consistent in pass coverage. The pick six against Florida when he's playing cornerback, they motion the running back out of the backfield and he goes all the way out to corner and he gets a pick six. I mean, he's just no matter where he is in pass coverage, he just so he's just so comfortable. And then he's so instinctive as a run defender, too. 
So I think there's some skepticism about his ability to play the mic, which he did a lot at Georgia because of the size, right? Like there, people are asking, okay, can he mix it up in the box? And I understand that, but I think when paired with the right, like you, like you said, with the with the right linebackers, his skill set is so unique and his smarts are so special that I think it can compensate for his lack of size. Which, for those who don't know, he is five foot eleven, two thirty four, which is very small. Unless he's packed on some weight since then, that's small for a a linebacker, a middle linebacker. Um, But like you said, I mean, I, he's just so good at diagnosing plays. He's so adept at not only recognition, but just that quick twitch reaction, um, which is how you see him constantly seeming like in the right place to make tackles. Um, And, you know, like exceptional in coverage, um, he's really good as a blitzer as well. He blitzed on 27% of snaps with a 23% pressure rate. Um, I just get the tweener concerns a lot, but it's like that's the only real neg I have on his who he is, his profile, because I just think, I don't know, he flies off the screen, literally flies. But like when I watch him, I just think, he is like these he he has that special quality and special balance to his game that makes me more excited about his upside than Lloyd who I also think you know is a um also a very good blitzer by the way also very good in run defense and can cover too but it just doesn't happen at the same play speed as Nicobe Dean yeah yeah I'm right there with you and the best linebackers in the league always have a high TFL rate in the league they make plays behind the line of scrimmage and that's what Nicobe Dean is able to do I mean there's so many games of where he was so successful as far as the utilization as a blitzer up the middle I mean he played like a man possessed against Arkansas like I can clip Mm -hmm. 20 plays from that game where he was effective getting back to the quarterback even if he doesn't get home and finish with the sack or TFL he just has so many negative effects on offenses are there any other linebackers you see potentially going in the first round? I, I mean, I see like some Chad Muma hype lately. Um, not really seeing any other names that are getting a lot of love recently. So keep an eye on the Kobe Dean's teammate, uh, Quay Walker from Georgia. Mm. He's one that could go in the back end of the first round based on what I'm hearing, just because the upside and the potential, you know, those are two words that get floated out a lot with draft season. And he was only a one-year starter at Georgia, but he's six foot four, 240 pounds. So he has the prototype that you're looking for at the position. He tested really, really well. And then also he's another one, not quite as instinctive as Nicobe Dean. It doesn't happen as fast just because he doesn't have the experience, but you're kind of betting on the upside with him. So Quay Walker, he's somebody that could go in the back end of the first round. I was like, I thought you were going to say Channing Tindall. It's just what a oh, that's my guy though. What an absolutely, sir. I'm I'm trying not to literally freak out about the Georgia defense every five (laughs) seconds, but like it's just so obscene, absolutely obscene. I like Tindall too, man. I I mean, it's not going to go first round, but like, what an athlete. Yeah, Yeah. I'm so so glad you tweeted out that they won it just because Kirby Smart (laughs) would have had such a huge bullseye on his back. Stetson Bennett, I mean, yeah, Yeah. it's just unbelievable. Um, Okay, I wanted to spend a lot of time talking about the cornerbacks and save some room for this because I think think this might be the most interesting group. And I also think, so earlier in this podcast, Jordan, I was talking about how like the edge rushers and wide receivers – um, they're like really good, 
but there's no like, wow, this guy could be like, and again, we're just projecting it's entirely possible that, you know, like Thibodeau or I don't know, Drake London or whatever could be fantastic. But at this moment, I feel like there's a lot of like, okay, how do we add all pros here? You know what I mean? Like what's the real upside? So I think cornerback's interesting because it's, it's really good. And also I think there are a couple of players, one in particular who might have that upside. Who do you think I'm talking about? Has to be Stingley, right? Got to be Stingley. You mentioned them earlier, so okay. I'm gonna go with Stingley. Right. Are you Stingley or Sauce? Stingley's my CB one. He's so good. Yeah, <laughs> very, so very good. good. Um, okay, so let's 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 get into it, and then we'll talk about Sauce and, and McDuffie and some of the other guys. Um, so obviously, much discussed concerns the uh, lack of production after his freshman year, injuries both of those years, 2020, uh, and then last year with the foot. And he also only played three games, so it's a bit of a small sample size. Um, I don't think those concerns are entirely unfair because, you know, it's a small sample size. I think it's when you watch him, he still played well. He did seed more of the underneath stuff than I remember doing him in his freshman year. But again, I think that you really have to factor the injuries into that. Do you, does that give you any pause at all? I mean, it doesn't. And I think with Stingley, something that a lot of people have to understand is that I think he experienced too much too soon. And what I mean by that is imagine your true freshman year. You're with Jamar Chase, Joe Burrow, Justin Jefferson, Terrace Marshall. You're going against these guys in practice every single day. You go 15 and 0 and you win a national title. And then think about what LSU was his last two years there. And I want to make this clear. I'm not making it. I'm not making excuses for Derek Stingley, but. I just think he got bored those last two years just because he experienced too much too soon, just because he's a true freshman, six interceptions. He's at the mountaintop. I mean, there wasn't anything more for him to accomplish from as far as just like a resume standpoint for just that one single season. But then you miss 13 games over the past two seasons, which gives a lot of pause, of course. But just talking to him and getting to know him a little bit at the combine, he said, like, this is my first major injury that I've ever had in my career. Mm. And Liz Frank is a big deal. I don't want to make no mistake about that. It's a very, very big deal. But this is the first major injury that he's had. He's still only 20 years old. So we're talking about a super young prospect. But the tape is so good if you're going by 2019. And the tape was still good over the past two seasons to me as well. But it's just the injury concerns. And the biggest thing that I always say about Stingley, it's just the availability. It's not the ability with Stingley. I think he has the most upside of any player in this entire class. But it's just the availability with him. And if you're going to get that 2019 pre-injury version of Derek Stingley, which I think I would be willing to bet on without question. That's why I said he's my CB1. Well, I I, so like the thing that disappeared was the ball production, right? Um, And I just don't see how that doesn't come back because it's so, I mean, I guess, you know, his incredible ability to high point can be affected by injury, but so much of it is just instinctive. I mean, he looks, he plays like a wide receiver when the ball is in the air more better than I'm trying to think of a cornerback with that ball production skills and it's really hard to think of one um he's just so incredible at you know just tracking and getting his head around just in time it's so special and then that paired with the athleticism the speed 
the ability first of all you know, we talk about about him as a man corner i felt watching him finally getting a chance to kind of sit down and watch all of it he's good in zone too i think that gets a yep. little bit lost like he's just so complete that i just don't i don't understand i, I guess again maybe this injury stuff i don't understand but based on what you see on tape like i don't see how he slips out of the top 10 yeah me either i mean if i'm praying if i'm the seahawks that he's there oh i mean i would be I'll be running to the podium with the car. Manifesting. <laughs> if he's there at nine and they take like Trevor Penning, I'm going to probably quit CX running, which I <laughs> vow like constantly. But, um, all right. Uh, well, so Gardner, though, again, really, really fun to watch. I, so it seems like right now he's consensus CB1, like in not um, what people think, but what people predict that he's going to be the first corner off the board. And, you know, when you watch him, it's easy to see why. I mean, we're talking about a guy who's obviously dominant in press man coverage which i think by the way actually can be a little bit of a question mark you know given where the nfl is going um and a little bit you know he's a little grabby at times which again little little some concerns there but a guy who has been consistently good great pardon me over his college career um who has the athletic features you want and i think you know, maybe the speed. And then if he does the speed, even if it's limited, one thing that I'm really impressed by is when he presses and loses, his recovery is really, really impressive. Um, You know, a guy who stuck on Jameson Williams, who's my favorite wide receiver in this class um, before he got hurt. There's so much to like. Do you have any concerns that like aren't being voiced? No, I mean, Sauce has a rare resume. And I said this on SportsCenter the other day, like you very rarely see a cornerback have no stains on their resume at all coming out. I think half the battle as a corner coming into the NFL is confidence. If you don't have confidence at that position, I think you're you're not going to be very good. And I'm not saying you have to be an outspoken guy like Jalen Ramsey or somebody like that, but I just love corners that have that type of infectious rah-rah personality just because I think that's half the battle coming into the league. So I loved seeing him tweet, I'm the best player in this draft. (laughs) Like, I mean, I eat stuff up like that just because this is my favorite position to evaluate. I know that's crazy as a former quarterback that I love to evaluate cornerbacks, but this is just one position that I've really loved to evaluate as I've grown over time. And I live scout like eight to 10 games per year. And for those of you that, that don't know, I live in North Carolina. So I got to see Sauce live when they played against ECU. Um, so he was he was by far the best player that I live scouted last year. I mean, he's every bit of 6'3", 200 pounds. He has the rah-rah personality and warm-ups. You know, he has his headphones on. He's loud. He, want to, he wants to make sure that everybody in the stadium knows as soon as he steps foot on the grass in the stadium. I just love seeing players like that. And I compared him to Antonio Cromartie when he was coming out of Florida State mm. just because I think they have very similar size, the rare resume um, as Cromartie had coming out to not giving up a touchdown in three years is just observed. And then everybody says that he wasn't tested in the AAC, but when they played against Notre Dame and Alabama, he gave up four receiving yards total. That's right, four receiving yards total in those two games. And he also had an interception against Notre Dame too. And the matchup with him and Jameson Williams was hyped up a whole bunch. He didn't really get to match up against them a whole bunch, unfortunately. That's just how the game went for them. But when they were matched up, I think he only gave up like one yard, I believe it was. And that included a big-time tackle behind the line of scrimmage. So, yeah, it was, that's the one that really jumps yeah. out that when it, it's in the flat, right? And yeah. Um, yeah. he just tracks him like a 
goddamn missile. Yeah. Uh, so that's not the same as like, you know, keeping up with Jameson Williams, like speed for speed, obviously downfield, but very impressive because yeah. I mean, how many times have we seen Jameson Williams just like turn the corner and just destroy, destroy cornerbacks? Um, yeah, I, I just, you know, like you said, uh, obviously not, didn't go up against the greatest competition all the time. So as a result, he was like rarely targeted, which is what I would do if I was a team playing yeah. Cincinnati. Uh, I think gave up what 60 yards all year, eight catches, yep. 60 yards. That's absurd. Um, and, and you know, like has the physical attributes that make his ceiling really, high. I mean, he's not the biggest dude, but he is tall. He is extremely long, which really shows up um, in his ability to break up passes, even if he's not, you know, getting he he's a real ball hawk. Um, yeah, I just I think my my only question would be kind of what I alluded to, which is like, okay, how does he look in you know like a more zone oriented defense or where he's asked, asked to play off a little bit more? How does that translate? Because he has such a unique and specific skill set. Yeah, and you know I think he was fine in zone. The big question about Sauce entering the year was he was really grabby. And then yeah. also the long speed. There were some long speed questions about him. He had some games where some people were able to get behind him, but the quarterback just wasn't able to target or get them the ball. So long speed was a big question about him. He checked that box running four four six, or I think it was four four two at the combine. So he checked that box. And then also um, just being better in zone. I think he was just more patient. Something that happened his his sophomore year was that he was just really, really impatient in zone. And it's called a side saddle technique of where he just puts his back to the sideline. So he just had some struggles with seeing the ball and then also seeing the guy that it was entering and exiting his zone too. So I think that's something that he got much, much better at. So, I mean, like I said, this is a guy that doesn't have any stains at all on his resume. Yeah. Interesting. Ironic for a guy named Sauce not to have any stains. Um, okay. A, a cornerback <laughs> who's very good in zone and I think is almost universally seen as CB3 is Trent McDuffie out of my beloved Washington. I, he's almost right. Like, have you seen drafts where he's, or big boards where he's not the third wide receiver or probably cornerback? Oh, mine, actually. But Oh, wow. <laughs> do you have Booth over him? Yeah, I do. Oh, buddy. Okay. Wow. The, the UW hate. I love it. Okay. So let's talk about McDuffie and Booth together then. Do you have okay. McDuffie at four? Yes, I do. Okay. All right. All right, good. All right, so <laughs> um, the thing about Trent that I really like, it's, God, he's such a Washington corner, or at least like yeah. Washington recently, because, you know, he's scheme versatile, um, you know, not as good in man and not as sticky as the guys we've been talking about, certainly not as much as Andrew Booth here we're about to talk about. But when you watch a lot of, Today's offenses, especially like the Vic Fangio defenses, pardon me, Vic Fangio style defenses, um, it's very easy to imagine him slotting in. Um, just super, I think he has a very high floor. He's a very good tackler. He's always in the right place. The ding on him, I would say, is, you know, the, the ball skills and the man coverage press and the size you know he's not as big he's 5'11 219 but I think like you look at him and the floor is pretty high he's also fast too I think like he's got really exceptional closing speed um and long speed so why do you hate him so much 
<laughs> I don't hate him. I just hate have another guy <laughs> that I like her. better. But what? McDuffie, yeah. he's just he's so smart, Mina. Like there just yes. isn't any look that confuses him. He processes passing concepts really well, and just the sight line that he plays with is always like he's a step ahead. And then he has really good exceptional quick close speed. He can just stick his foot in the ground and get downhill. Right now, he has no hesitancy with coming up and tackling. He's a very, very good and run support. It kind of reminds me a lot of Cal Fuller. I think a similar mm-hmm. body type, very physical. Um, the ball skills aren't great. Um, the arm length is something that's going to come up a lot with him. I think he had 29 and a half inch arms or something like that. It was right below the magical threshold of 30 inches that a lot of scouts like to use. I mean, I'm not super big on that type of stuff as far as thresholds and things like that, but it does show up at, uh, at the moment of truth. That's what I like to call it when he's battling to fight through the hands of some wide receivers does give up some of those big balls down the field too. But, um, I mean, he's just so smart. His football IQ is off the charts and I mean, I still think he's going to go top 20 without question just because the floor is so high. Mm. So why do you like Booth more? The length, um, the ball skills. Yeah. I mean, he's he's so acrobatic at, at the moment of truth at that catch point. Like he had, I think it was, I think it was the pit game last year of where he's just skying through the air to get the ball. And then last year also against Miami, he had um, a PBU of where he just – He's able to contort his body in the air. Oh like my god! I yeah, I remember that one. Right, it's all, it's, yeah, that it, one is all length, by the way. That, that yeah. you're talking about all his, length. His, he's not. He's not in the right position, but it doesn't matter. Right, and his recovery skills are so good, and he reminds me a lot of Marvin Humphrey, or Marlon Humphrey, excuse me, when he was coming out of Alabama. Uh, I think mm-hmm. that's a comparison that I like a lot, and then just the physical temperament that he plays with. He's one of those guys that just plays the game pissed off. Like, he'll give up a five-yard route and think he gave up a touchdown. And his worst game of the year was against NC State. I mean, he got lit up in that game. But he comes back over the next few weeks, and he plays the best ball of his life. South Carolina, the rivalry game, he was awesome. He had two interceptions. Should have been three if he catches the first one in the first quarter. So I think just him being able to battle back from adversity like that I think says a lot about him and I'm a big fan of Andrew Booth, but the injury concerns, the big thing out there about him right now, just had the core muscle surgery. I believe it was about three weeks ago now. And then we weren't able to see him at the combine. Either, either he strained his quad warming up in the hotel room mm. for the 40 yard oh, no. dash. So, oh. Yeah. He was, he was really upset. That about sounds that like an excuse I would make not to run. Um, <laughs> not, yeah, he obviously it really happened. Did, was the OBJ one-handed interception, was that his freshman or sophomore year? That's the one that, like, you can't get out of your mind. You know what I mean? It was for the Virginia yeah, one? Yeah, it was his sophomore year. Oh, my God. Yeah, that was the well, breakout year. So that's that's what's crazy about him, right? The catch radius, the high pointing, the ball tracking. It's why his production, as you mentioned, is so exceptional. He's him and It, it is interesting because him and McDuffie are really, like, a case study in different – like, they're so different. Um and you see the upside with Booth. I mean, the way he, you know, I don't want to actually say they're so different. Like he's good in zone too. And like, he's smart and, um, you know, and I think they both have exceptional closing speed. So they're not totally different players, but I think like with play recognition, McDuffie doesn't get fooled. And sometimes Booth right. does, or sometimes he's a little too aggressive because he's yeah. so good playing on the ball. But again, that production is impressive. And, you know, I think like with some refinement, you can see why his ceiling 
would be higher than McDuffie's. By the way, but one question about McDuffie before we move on. Do you think he should play in the slot or outside? Both. I mean, cross train him. I, yeah. I think he's that valuable. And like I said, I think he's like a, a Kyle Fuller of where he can play inside and out and just trying to stick like close to Vic Fangio, like you said. I mean, he loved Kyle Fuller and that defense when he was in Chicago. I think he can be that type of player. So I think you can cross train him at both. We see just versatility screams smarts to me. He has some he has some experience in the slot too. I don't I'm not sure of his exact numbers, but I've seen him play slot quite a bit during his career at Washington. So I think he has the ability to play both. Maybe. Yeah, we'll see in the NFL. Like again, it so much of this is where they're drafted. Um do you have Kyer Kyer Elam next? Yeah, big I'm okay. much higher on him than a lot of people. Really? Okay. So I'll tell you what I think of him before we move on to the safeties. Um long. <laughs> Yeah, he was actually pretty good. Uh, had a couple of nice reps against Jameson Williams too. That was the uh, best not, game. Yeah, eh, this is the Jameson Williams benchmark. Um, very impressive top end speed. Very physical. Has the length. I mean, he could really press. My concern about him is the agility and. I do think I talked about like Booth being a little bit too mm, aggressive. I think Elam has a, that worse than Booth. Yeah. So Elam is literally Xavier Rhodes all over again. Oh, that yeah. He's yeah. he's Xavier coming out of Florida State, and if you remember Xavier, he's really really good against those big physical wide receivers. So he's going to be good against like Jamar Chase and Michael Thomas and guys like that, but. When he has to go against some of those shorter, twitchier guys, he's always going to have struggles with them just because if he can't get hands on them at the line of scrimmage, he's always going to try to play what's called a trail technique or just trail their hip and just try to mirror them through the route just because he can't match their quickness. So that's the big issue with Elam right now is that just that short area quickness. He does struggle with those shorter, shiftier guys, but when he can get physical and get in a boxing match with those big guys like Michael Thomas, he's going to be fine there. Mm. I should have mentioned he's uh, six foot two, two hundred pounds, which kind of explains some of the attributes, uh, strengths, and weaknesses we just discussed. But he he's a big, big, big guy. Um, yeah, I'm. I, I like. I like. I think there's a lot of fun depth, and we're not going to get into it. But you know, between McCreary, um, who I think is being a little dinged a little bit too much for the arms, Kyler Gordon, who had a weirdly bad combine but is better on tape. Just a lot of like fun. Uh, cornerbacks are going to be taken in the second and third rounds and I think can be absolutely be NFL contributors. All right. We end with a discussion of my favorite player in the draft. A player who seems to be falling down boards, I think largely on account of his various 40 times at various places in athletic testing. And that is the Korean killer, Kyle Hamilton. <laughs> Has your enthusiasm for him dampened since the NFL combine. No, he's one of those players of where he just trusts instincts over speed. And I didn't think he was ever going to be, I will say this. I didn't think he was a four, six or a four, seven guy, but I didn't think he was going to run four, four or nothing like that either. So I think he's one of those guys of where you just kind of have to trust the tape with him. 
And he just wears so many hats on the back end of where he can unlock everybody in the defense. And it's not just in the secondary. It's up front and in the front seven, too. I think there's so many things that he can do. You can blitz him. He's so good with running the alley, coming down and run support as a tackler. And then also he can play single high. Um, he can play in the slot. There's just so many things that he can do. Now, the the short area quickness is never going to be great. That's why Notre Dame didn't play him a whole bunch in man-to-man coverage. But if you can allow him to play zone and just just allow him to roam free on the back end, I think you're going to get – I mean, I think he can be a Pro Bowl type of player. Yeah, I mean, you're, the short area quickness is an issue. Like, can, you know, what is he like in man coverage? But, like, that's it? <laughs> Right. I, I, he, I, he can also absolutely defend tight ends, running backs. Um, I've even seen him defend slot receivers reasonably well, actually. But what he brings to the table is so special. I mean, I've waxed down on it about this a little bit too much, but like he's the perfect defender for the modern NFL. What we're yeah. seeing defenses do uh, with all of the disguise coverage and the, and the need to have safeties play you know, wear a ton of hats. Uh, Like he, to me, is the kind of player, because of the ball skills, because of the coverage ability from sideline to sideline, because of the strength, because of how hard he hits, because of his dominance in the box, you can build a defense around this. If I was building, I mean, I guess, God, you obviously want a dominant edge defender as your start, you know, that's the core piece, but... After that, I I know people say a shutdown corner is more useful. I understand that. But like Kyle Hamilton enables you to do so many things defensively because of his versatility that like I just if I was a defensive coordinator, I would just be tantalized by his skill set. Yeah. And I think you hit the nail on the head as far as the importance of safeties in today's day and age in the game with the league being so pass happy. I just think he's one of those guys that can be a green dot player of where he can call plays. Uh, I just think he's one that you can signal in those plays into, and then he can get everybody aligned on the back end. I think he could be that special type of player. Which is a, a trend in the NFL with more safeties wearing the yeah. green dot. Yeah, I think Jordan Rodriguez had a great piece about this in The Athletic, mm-hmm. but you know, just because of the nature of NFL defenses and how much is of, is asked of the position um, you know, you're not just sticking a dude in the box and you're not just like, you know, even if you've got a center fielder, you're going to have to have him be fairly versatile as well in, in a lot of these defenses. And he's just, he is also like, yeah, I should have mentioned this. He's also really, really, really smart. Um, his route recognition is incredible. His, um, ability to like, I, I identify like, you know, what run play has been called. I mean, he's just really, really complete. Um, so I don't get – I understand the times for, you know, a, a, a safety who's going to play both uh, single high and two high. You, you Maybe you want a little bit more speed, but it doesn't show up on tape at all. Um, it's just the, – the play speed is just fantastic. And, yeah, and again, like the agility is not a huge concern to me. Um, so is Lewis seen pretty much everybody's number two? Not me. <laughs> wow, Jordan. My draft the board is, yeah, my draft board is very, very different this year. Okay. So this is it. actually this is actually one of my draft crushes this year. And it's Jalen Petrie from Baylor. Yeah. Big, big fan of him. I just think he's Tyron Matthew 
all over again. And I know that's very, very high praise, but he's a player that's very similar to Honey Badger. I mean, he had 18 and a half tackles for loss last year. Big 12 defensive player of the year. That high of number is just unheard of for a player at that position. But everybody that I talk to in the building is that this they say this guy just loves football. Like he wakes up, he breathes eats and sleeps football. So I just love a player like that at the position. And the biggest question that I had about Petrie entering the year, or I should say entering the pre-draft process, was just how well could he hold up in coverage consistently just because they're blitzing him so much off of the edge. He doesn't match up really well from a length perspective with those tight ends and then those slot receivers. But at the senior bowl, I mean, he was unbelievable. Like outside of Jermaine Johnson, I think he was the second best player there from what I saw. Mm. So I just thought he had an incredible week. And then also he played that famous star position that Mika Fitzpatrick made known. This is what I was going to ask you about. Is he a safety? Yeah. Yeah. I I think he can be, but he has to be a low safety. So you really want him around the line of scrimmage just because that's where a lot of his impact comes from. He's so instinctive and slippery as a blitzer. I mean, he can run through running backs. He can get around them. Then also there's so many different ways he can execute as a blitzer. And then Mm -hmm. he actually was in Matt Rule's recruiting class at Baylor and they went 0-11 their first year, his first year there. And then by the time he finishes up at Baylor, we see the resume that he has. They ended up being a top 10 defense in the entire country and then finishing with the top 10 ranking too. So he stuck it out. Um, So, I, I mean, I just like the mental makeup with him. I just love that the plays that he's able to make consistently on tape. And if there's one game of where you're just trying to get a feel for him, Go watch him against BYU. I mean, from start to finish, he was wrecking shop that entire game. I think he's a very special player for the reasons you just described. I do, like, it'll be interesting to me to see where he and Daxton Hill out of Michigan get drafted um, just because of, you know, they're two players who are used very, in very versatile fashion, shall we say. Mm-hmm. And I think it's kind of like, okay, when you, Look at how this translates to the next level. How do teams view them? Um, you know, what position do they view them playing? But then you remember, like, slot corners are on the field the entire time. So even if they do view either of them as slot corners, um, I think it, it doesn't. It, I it, in my mind, it certainly wouldn't affect their draft stock as much as it would have, like, even five years ago because of the nature of the game. Um, and I like Petrie a lot better than Hill, who I like too, by the way. But um, yeah, it'll be interesting. I, I like positions like this or players like this because they kind of tell you about where the NFL is going, if that makes sense. You know what yeah. I mean? Like when you, when you have a player that's kind of like, ah, was he a tweener? What position does he play? Um, so yeah, Lewis Seen. Is he your number three? <laughs> so is Dax Hill then Lewis Seen? Okay. So Lewis Seen is very much a safety. Um, yeah. <laughs> I do think he is not quite the center fielder type that some people are characterizing him as such. Uh, Just like his range is not exceptional, but I, I I, I could see him in a number of different schemes. The speed is there. I think he tested his 40 time was like pretty insane at the combine. If I remember quickly. Um, And, you know, he has like, like I find him to be very, balanced in terms of the tackling uh the you know run defense um his closing speed he hits really hard why are you a little bit lower on him than others 
it, I mean, I still have an early second round grade on him, so I'm not super low on him. But I yeah. think with Scene, it's just the plays on the ball. That's something that you don't see a lot on his tape. I mean, he's running around. He's destroying people like running backs, tight ends, and wide receivers. They have to have their head on the swivel if you're in any range near him just because he's one of those guys that's looking to run through you at every single opportunity that he can get. But And if you remember, this was, I think, two years ago now – he had an illegal hit on Kyle Pitts. If you've never seen it before, like he absolutely yeah. clobbered yeah. Kyle Pitts. So, I mean, that's the type of temperament that he plays the entire game with. So you love the hitting power. I think he's going to be definitely fine as a run defender. It's just the plays on the ball is something that you don't see a whole bunch with him. So that's, if I had to say one thing that gives me a little bit of reservations about him, especially as a center fielder, that would be one. I think he can be a center fielder, but he doesn't have that sideline to sideline range. I think it'll be fine as far as getting from numbers to numbers. Uh, if I had to put like a label on what he could be comfortable with. But I, I mean, we're talking about a big time player. here. I think he day one. I think he's a starter for sure. It's just the ball production that he lacks right now. And then also him and Isaiah likely were actually high school teammates. I wanted to throw that in there. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I see him as a, if he's, as a free safety and like more of a too high scheme, you know, where um, he, he isn't always asked to cover that much field. And you can also like take advantage of his ability to just, just, run the alley like an absolute maniac he's such a good blitzer too i, I mean and yeah. that's the thing that really jumped out to me so I, I think there's a lot of potential there but i just kind of you know i want to see how the coverage abilities translate to the nfl and then as you mentioned the ball production um all right scott there's a lot of fun players um after the break as always dinks and dunks five more questions for jordan four from me one from lenny as you guys know NFL teams can make mistakes when it comes to spending money. For example, cover years, Broncos fans. Russell Wilson has a $53 million cap hit this year. <laughs> but uh, unlike the uh, Walton family, I'm guessing people listening to this podcast don't have millions to spend. Maybe some of you do. I don't know. Get at me. But when it comes to a great shave, you don't have to shell out tons of cash. Harry's saw customers getting ripped off by the shaving industry with overpriced, underperforming products, and they decided to do something better. They found their own way to make a beautifully designed razors for a fraction of the price of other big brands. So you never wonder if you overpaid. They have customizable delivery options for scheduled refills as low as $2, which is half of what you pay for big brands. Convenient subscription options that you can cancel at any time. Getting the best does not mean spending the most when you shave with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com slash M-I-N-A. That's harrys.com slash Mina for a $3 trial set. Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore a seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA. And now it's time for Dinks and Dunks. I'm getting paid for this, right? All right, we're back with Dinks and Dunks. Jordan, I don't know if you're familiar with this section of the podcast. You can get a little bit hairy at the end. <laughs> I'm ready for it. Okay. Well, we start with some safe questions from me. Uh, so we didn't talk about wide receivers, but obviously you, you cover all positions. And, you know, I I, I just want to ask you because everybody has a different answer for this. Who is your favorite wide receiver in this draft? 
Oh, it's Garrett Wilson. I love Garrett Wilson. I think he's Stefan Diggs all over again. I, I think that highly of Garrett Wilson. He has the body control, the hands. He's so creative and deceptive as a route runner. And then there's so many different things that you can do with him. So, I mean, I, he's wide receiver one for me. He's a top 10 player for me in this class too. So I like Garrett Wilson a lot. Oh, human highlight reel. Little skinny. Little skinny. Yes. <laughs> Uh, but no one's perfect. None of the wide receivers are perfect to me. So I think you can like make a case for any of the top five, weirdly. Um, okay. Question two. Squirt gun to your head. Who goes first and second overall? Ooh. Um, Nobody will hold you accountable for these projections except for the <laughs> listeners to this podcast. <laughs> um, I think Trayvon Walker goes number one ah! overall. I think he. I think there's a lot of steam behind that right now. Woo! And then with Woo! Trent Baalke taking Alden Smith, um, I just think he's going to go with the potential over the proven product right now. Goodness, and then goodness, goodness, goodness. I mean, Detroit would be jumping for joy if Aiden Hutchinson is yeah. there for them. So you missed the first part of this podcast, but we bemoaned that I did that very idea, which I I didn't ask you what you would do. I'd ask you the mocks to be clear. Uh, it is wild to me. Has there ever been a edge rusher taken that high with that little production? No. Like we like not. like we talk about the Daniel Hunters, but Daniel Hunter wasn't drafted in the first round. You know what I mean? Like, or even a Rashawn Gary, who you know, when was he taken? Like twenty or something? Yeah. I I, he went I late just, teens. Yeah, it would be I mean, he went back into the first round though, but Adafi Owe last year, but we're talking about number one overall. One, big one. Wild. That would be wild. Um, okay. Question three. What is your favorite position to evaluate? Oh, I said it earlier. I mean, obviously it's quarterback just because I played it, but outside of quarterback, it will be cornerback. I just love watching those guys, looking at the back end and coverages, and then just seeing the confident guys on the back end. There's just something about cornerback that just mm. just gets me giddy. Mm. Yeah, I like watching the cornerbacks too. I like watching the wide receivers the most, though, I think. Um, okay, question four. You're obviously spending all of your time preparing for the draft. Do you have any free time to watch any other content? And if so, can you recommend anything to our listeners? Um, I'm not a huge TV watcher, honestly. But one series that I do love that I've watched consistently is Ozark on Netflix. I am a big, big, I'm a big, big Ozark fan. Ozark. I think the great, the great second story. half of this season comes out pretty soon. My yeah, mom it comes out. I think Text it comes out it. the week of the draft. It might be the first day of the draft, if I'm not Ooh. mistaken. So you can reward yourself after the draft by binging yeah. Ozark. What is the, when the draft's over, are you just like, uh, like just, do you get vacation? Yeah. So I usually take a month off and then I'll get started on 2020, 2023 Ooh. guys in June. Ooh. Um, my recommendation is the show Winning Time. If you guys aren't watching that about the uh, oh, yeah, 80s Lakers. Lakers, it's really I good. I really like it. The casting is unbelievable. The guys they found to play Magic and Kareem is like crazy. Yeah. It's like watching the real thing. All right. Last question, as always, comes from Lenny. Um, so you mentioned you play quarterback. Mm -hmm. Lenny dug into, uh, dug into the stats a little bit. Mm -hmm. uh, noticed your senior season, completion percentage, 50%. He wants to know where you'd be drafted. Oh, I'll be undrafted free agent. Battle some injuries. 
my final battle year. Battle some injuries. Back. Yeah, battle wow. some injuries. Like, but I would be that. <laughs> Did you even know that? What the hell? I apologize on his behalf. Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore a seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA.